Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Record Celtic Podcast. I'm Darren Cooney and today I'm joined by Record Sports' Craig Swan, who's sunning himself, sorry, slaving away in Dubai with the hoops. On the pod today, Craig takes us inside Celtic's Dubai training camp, provides us insight into the mood of the players, tells us his daily schedule in the Emirates State and offers a view on what the break can do for the squad. Also, he gives us the latest on the potential permanent signing of Odson Edward, provides other potential incoming transfers and Craig also lets us know who could be leaving in January. Hello, hello Craig, how are you? Yeah, I'm good darling, yourself? Yeah, very well thanks, how's it over there? Yeah. Is it a glorious Quite day? Quite busy outside, it's a nice day today, yeah. Uh, sunshine, blue skies, uh, a lot of people out and about at the moment. Uh, Thursday obviously being Friday, uh, as we would know it uh, over here, so uh, I think there's a few people finishing early and heading for... Uh, various nice places to start the how the weekend works here, uh, Friday, Saturday. So yep, busy, all good. Okay, good. And how's the how's the mood of the players? Very good, I think. It, um, at this time of the year, uh, Darren, it's just just to get away and see a bit of sunshine. I mean, there was some, I don't know if you've seen uh, if anybody uh, back home saw the the pictures that had been sent out by Jose Mourinho, no less, and he when he first arrived with his Man United team. Uh, on Monday night, the rain bounced off the ground, but generally on a daily basis. But when Celtic have been training, uh, all of the mornings have been here. It's been glorious, you know. And I think that just to get a bit of heat about the limbs, and uh, this time of the year, it's made a big difference. It just brings everyone up, doesn't it? Seeing about sunshine. So, yeah, not the players are in good spirits, enjoying themselves. Yeah, certainly, certainly from those pictures, Celtic training, they, they've they've been working hard. There's a lot of kind of beetroot. Cootins about the squad. Uh, Scott Brown looked like he was going to bust a blood vessel or two. Uh, same with Kieran Tierney. I mean, is it, how, has it been hard work? Has it been harder work than they would train at home or different? Can you talk us through that a wee bit? Yeah, I think um, but, um, that Scott Brown has, has, has talked about it a lot. Uh, the way Celtic train um, has changed. Uh, you know, the way they train under Brendan Rodgers has changed. It's high tempo, high intensity. You know, for our you know our bursts, which means that it's you know it's the equivalent of 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 you or me or any of the listeners playing five a side and actually not having a break at any point as fast as you can play for an hour, um, which which conditions them for getting through games at home. So they've been doing that here. Um, they've been I mean last year they trained really really hard when they came here. I think I, I must admit I was quite surprised by it because I thought that. They would maybe use it to, you know, relax, rest weary limbs. They did that, of course, in the afternoons. But the mornings were really, really punishing for the players. Um, they've gone through the usual tests that you would, just to check where everyone's, um, you know, the bleak test and the speed test, just to check to what degree, uh, where people are, how fit they are, whether they're just, you know, if, if they need a wee bit more rest than others. Some guys only work a wee bit more than others. Maybe some of the ones that haven't played as many minutes, for example. Tierney, for example, wouldn't need any of that, but you might have some of the boys that have maybe not played as often. 
uh, we'll get training just a touch harder than the other ones, just to try and get everyone at the same level, so that when Celtic come back for the for the, for the Scottish Cup game with with Breakin on Saturday week, everybody's on an even level and, yeah. and ready to go for the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, again, judging by the pictures, a lot of the youngsters such as Mark Hill, uh, Connor Hazard, Calvin Miller, they all seem to be very much part of the, the first team squad over there. Is that yeah. the case? Are they just being treated as equals and doing the same kind of work? Oh, absolutely, 100%, yes. Um, Brendan Rodgers has never made any secret of the fact that, that there is a pathway uh, for young players, that, you know, there is an opportunity for them to make it. And the first step to that is take part in first-team training, take part in all sessions of first-team training, take part at all levels, work the same way, and that gives him an early indication immediately of whether they're up to it, you know, up to that standard, whether they're up to the standard required, and it also gives the boys themselves an indication of where they are, where they need to get to, where they need to be. So, I mean, you know, it's not as if the Celtic manager is flooding first-team training sessions with 14 youth players, but, you know, he will give three, four at a time, maybe, or whatever, or whoever's here, an opportunity to, you know, to show themselves and, and show their worth, because that's the first step for them. So, no, they've been involved. And, it, and everything that the first team boys have done, absolutely everything. Yeah, well that, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What, what kind of, are, they, are they doing double training sessions, Swanee, at the moment, or have they been doing that earlier in the, the break? No, just, uh, they've, they've basically been through it about sort of just after lunchtime most days. Um, really go hard at it in the morning. Um, the, the, the sessions maybe been split. They, they get they get called double sessions because they maybe do an hour burst, then maybe some stretch for half an hour, then another big burst for right, an hour or right. something like that. You know. Yeah. Um, but they'll um, they've generally spent the afternoon sort of uh, relaxing and uh, chilling out. So no, I think everyone. To, so I mean, Brendan Rodgers obviously knows what he's doing. Um, they managed to strike the perfect balance last year of of hard work and. Recuperation time, so because they they were flying when they came back last year, so I presume his medical and physical team, headed by Glenn Driscoll, will have everything down to a, a fine art. I mean, he's got data machines, you name it. Glenn Driscoll's got it, so um, he'll know everything to the last bead of sweat that some boys are dropping. So uh, they'll know exactly where, where everybody is, and they'll get it spot on. I'm sure. Okay, now I know uh, you journalists haven't had any downtime, and that, that's the truth. You've been slaving away uh, but what what kind of activities have the players been allowed to do have you, can you give us any insight into that yeah I think everybody um, the, the Celtic manager obviously allowed um, has allowed um, partners to be here, wives to be here if they so choose um, some have taken that option, some haven't there was obviously a week before um, the squad convened some people, some some of the, the, the players came to Dubai some of them went to other areas on holiday you'll have seen the paper uh, this morning Kieran Tierney obviously went to Tenerife for a few days yeah. I think Stuart Armstrong went to New York almost got snowed in I think um, <laughs> various guys went to, to various places but they've all sort of convened here and um, I think everybody's he's got a very good uh, Rogers, Brendan Rodgers has got a very good attitude with these players in the sense that you know I trust you don't let me down I trust you you know, by that I mean it's not going out and drink 25 pints a night, but I mean if they want to go out for a bit of dinner and go out and go out or disappear for the afternoon or head away or do what they want to do. So um, I think it's such a diverse group. Um, I know that they went for a, um, on Sunday night, there was like a sort of big, big huge team dinner uh, with the staff and all the players and everyone. And 
there was like a good introduction for the likes of Marvin Comper uh, to get in and meet everybody. So um, that was a big group gathering that they did together. But generally, it's not. Um, <clears throat> you know, some, excuse me. Sometimes you hear of. Oh, they'll have team go kart and they'll go and do this, they'll go and do that. Yeah. I think everybody's just been allowed to chill and do their own thing, you know. Some people like go shopping, some people like going lying in a lounger. It's been pretty relaxed. Well, that kind of leads us on to the next bit. I mean, uh, in the immediate aftermath of uh, Celtic Strawberry Rangers at Celtic Park, December 30, uh, Brendan Rogers was asked about how much his players needed the break, and he responded by saying mm-hmm. 50%. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I-, I would imagine you would concur with that and. and Perhaps even further, can I embellish the fact that they were absolutely done in near this, the uh, certainly December? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody that watched, the, the, there was a, I think the possibly the Aberdeen second half performance uh, three days before, two days before Christmas, and the game at first half of the game at Dundee at Dens and Boxing Day. There was a vibrancy about Celtic. Other than that, they looked pretty flat through December. They just played so many games. And I think that I think the mistake that people make in this situation, with uh, um, talking about players being tired, everybody connects that with a physical tiredness. Yeah. And I often don't think it is just a physical tiredness. I think it's a mental tiredness which comes into it as well because. Um, I think it's, excuse me, I think there was just somebody at the door there at the hotel room, sorry for that. Um, the, um, there's, there's, a, there's a mental tiredness as well involved. Um, but it's, you know, if you think about it, it's every Saturday, every Wednesday, peaking the mind for big games, you know, getting you know, get, getting into tune, getting having to start games well. It can, can be wearing, as, you, as, as anybody who's listening will know, you know, if you, if you go to work, for six months in succession without a holiday. Yeah, yeah. Getting up every day and going to your work every day and every day and every day. You mentally, you just need a break. And that run. And I think well, it's as much that, of it. You know, and the, the, the unbeaten run, you know, must take so much mental energy. Yeah, yeah. And the Champions League qualifiers and then, and then the Champions League group games. You know, it's just, it's just you're having to raise, raise the minds for. Now, I, I guess only and you and I may, may not know exactly how that is exactly to their level, um, because you know perhaps only an elite sportsman or you know an elite guy would, would know what that's like to have to do it. But like I say, the best comparison I can give is you know anybody, anyone that's listening who's gone to work for five, six months in a row without a holiday, yeah. gets to the point where they just need to switch off because it's getting too much. So I think it's as much about that. I think it's as much about, as I say, just relaxing. Just sitting down for a wee bit, just having a break, just letting the mind rest more than anything else. Not having to get yourself keyed up for a big game that's coming up. Not having to stress and take in tactics and just have two weeks where you can just clear the mind, you know? Yeah, I, th- I think that's spot on. And I mean, may- maybe, I mean, Kieran Tierney's been just in- incredible the past 18 months or so, but I, I think, you know, that was hi- his performance kind of highlighted that against Rangers mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. on that day. He just looked, he just looked done, you know. Done. Yeah. Yeah, it's not an easy thing. It's yeah. not an easy thing. But I mean, listen, it's what as everyone says. It's it's your job. It's it's what they get paid for them. So, but they they do need to have some sort of break, mental break. Okay. Sure. Okay. And you understand Manchester United, Liverpool, and well now Aberdeen are out there. Is there any kind of interaction? What's the geography between these all the clubs? Are they particularly close by? No, but we're actually asking that. Um, would you know it was something? Um, it was something that, that, that was asked to, 
to, to Brendan Rodgers um, when we saw him the other day. You know, that, you know, because we were as you know, inquisitive about it as anybody listening. You know, we wondered if you know, I, I don't know how it works with the, the top football managers. Does Jose Mourinho call over to Brendan Rodgers' hotel and well, what are you doing tonight? Mom, can we have a chat? We'll have a coffee or whatever. But um, I think it was basically a case of everybody's just doing their own thing and. Um, you know, just a way of meeting their own people and concentrating on their own things. But quite, um, I believe, the area towards the marina is kind of where Liverpool and Celtic are quite close. Right. Manchester United are quite close to that. Uh, Aberdeen are a little bit different. They're maybe about 30 minutes outside the town centre. Uh, they're down at a, uh, it's like a centre of excellence at Jebel Alley. Oh, yes. Uh, they're in a, a lovely place down there, but they're, they're a bit further out. Uh, the city centre, but it's um, we went down to see them uh, yesterday, and they're in a nice spot as well. So, uh, but no, no, it's it's such a big city and such a vibrant city that you can get kind of lost in it. So, uh, no, there's not much. They, they all train at different places as well. So, okay, I've been using our vassals uh, stadium to train, and uh, various Aberdeen have got their own pitches down where they are, and Man United and Liverpool are sort of doing stuff out. So, no, no, that there hasn't been any cases of Virgil Van Dijk. Bumping into Scott Brown outside H&M, that's for sure. Well, not that I know of, anyway. <laughs> OK. Right, and then uh, on to transfers now. Craig, uh, you wrote this morning about Rogers giving a latest on Edward. Can you expand a wee bit on that, Hudson Edward? And he, he seems to be not not entirely convinced just yet, or is certainly not going public with his with his intentions. Yeah, I think he's, he, he was very... Um, he seemed very relaxed about it. The Chelsea manager seemed very relaxed about a lot of things. You know, he was, you know, just, you know, will be, will be sort of thing, and um, outlined that he's been very impressed with with Eduard, not just his football, but he outlined the way he's grasped the culture of Celtic, grasped his teammates, made a real effort, you know, trying to learn the language and really integrated quite well. And so he's been very encouraged by all those aspects. Not easy, of course, for a a 19-year-old to come over as a third choice. but um, So I think he's been quite impressed with all, all of those aspects. But, of course, what you also have to take into account is he hasn't had many opportunities as yet, obviously because of Griffiths and Dembele. Um, he's only scored four goals because he hasn't played that often. And although when you read figures of £142 million for Felix Coutinho going to Barcelona... The seven million or so, which Hudson Edward will call, cost is still a club record for Celtic. Yeah, so yeah. It's a decision which he has to take a lot of time over and be absolutely sure. So there's no pressure from anyone from Paris Saint Germain or anything like that to make any sort of decisions now. So I think he, uh, I take him as exactly as what he said. He, he'll wait. He'll wait till May, May June. I mean, at this stage, if you if you were a gambling man, which which you know Darren, I probably am. If you had to pay it tomorrow. It wouldn't happen, but if Mr Dembele happens to go before the end of the month, which we don't know what's going to happen there, if he goes, all of a sudden Odson Edward starts an awful lot more games, might score 10, 12 goals in the second half of the season to help Celtic win a treble, then you do pay it. Yeah. So I, I think I think the, the Celtic manager's approach to it at this moment is absolutely reasonable, and I don't think anybody would be any complaints about the way he's gone about it. So it seems yeah. the right thing to do, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. So, so, so just to confirm, it's, it's not so much that he has any misgivings or doubts about Hudson Edward. It's just more he doesn't need to make a decision yet. So why why commit himself? So, that's, that that so. seemed, and, and, he, and he also made a very fair point when he said this is also about both parties. You know, Hudson Edward might go to. 
sitting in Brendan Rodgers' office on the 15th of May and say, you know, you guys have been really great with me, I really appreciate it, but I don't like Glasgow that much. I don't like Scottish football that much. I wouldn't want to sign here permanently. You know, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but what Brendan Rodgers says was it's a two-way thing. You know, we've got to have a look at Odds and Edward, but he's also having a look at us as well. And just trying to decide, you know, is he settling in, seeing what it's like? So, as I say, there's no pressure, there's no stress. No one's pushing for any decisions just now. There's so much football to play until the end of the season. He only has to worry about the things he has to worry about now, Brendan Rodgers. There's no point worrying about things that are going to need to, don't need to be decided for another five months. Okay, okay. Now, for, you've obviously watched Celtic most weeks. You've seen Edward in action. What, what, what do you make of the player? What, what are your thoughts on him? What, what does he bring that perhaps Griffiths or Dabelli don't? What does he need to work on? Just, just give you your wee profile of the player. There's a, there's a phrase that we use quite a lot when you see, when you see, when you see guys of that age or he seems a bit raw. I remember a couple of people thought Dembele was raw when he first came. Yeah. I think it's very difficult to judge him because all strikers, listen, we've seen it with Mr Dembele and Lee Griffiths. Now they are, without question, the top two. One of them Scotland's international number nine. The other one's rated about 25 to 30 million pounds. If they don't play every week, even they look a little bit off it, yeah. as we've seen with both of them. So you're trying to judge a young player on when do we see him, maybe for a 15-minute sub-cameo every three or four games. So it's hard, so I don't want to... For what we've seen, he looks a bit rough and ready around the edges. The touch is maybe not fantastic. Yet he has done one or two things in games where you think, well, there's definitely a player in there. Yeah. But it's so hard to make a judgment. And we are the international capital of the world on snapped judgments in Scotland. We decide on players within two games, whether they've got it or not. And I think sometimes it can be... You just have to hold your hands up sometimes and say, look, can't judge him. haven't haven't seen enough of him. I mean, the kid scored the hat-trick in a game against Motherwell, so he's obviously got something. But to, for Celtic to pay £7, seven million, pounds, he would have to show it, get an opportunity to, and then show it on a, a far more regular basis. Or he would have to be doing incredible things at Wellstown on a daily basis yeah. to convince Brendan Rodgers to pay. So um, I suspect it, 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 it comes across as a sitting on the fence answer, but it's the old adage of I think there's a player in there, but we just haven't seen it totally yet. A bit like Oliver and Chan. Aye, aye. Listen, that, that, everything you've said is entirely fair because I think you're, you're absolutely right in Scotland. Fans, journalists, even range from one end of the spectrum to the other over a player. I mean, Dembele was, was going to be the, the world superstar striker uh, one minute, and then, you know, after a, an indifferent display against Rangers last month, people are rubbishing him. He's, yeah, not, he's, not, he's not good enough. And he's just come back from an injury. As you say, he's been rotated with a wee bit with Griffiths and uh, uh, Edward. So I think, yeah, I, I think we're, we're too quick to offer any kind of judgment, so you're, you're probably... Yeah. The, only, the, only, the only caveat I would give to that, Darren, is if, um, if Dembele stays, which I think there's a good chance that he might, um, if Dembele and Griffiths remain in place for the second half of the season, it's difficult to see where Odson's going to get his chances. Because he played these games this year, Celtic obviously had that punishing. The, the way the season's weighted these days, with the League Cup now all finished before Christmas, a large chunk, I think it's 22 of your 38 Premier League games I played be uh, before the break, the Champions League, the qualifiers, 
that was the time for him to get his chances. Now it relaxes a little bit in the second half of the season. There's a lot more Saturdays to Saturdays. If both the first-choice pair are in place, he's going to struggle to get the opportunities to prove himself. For the permanent deal, that, 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 that would be your only, your only concern Rogers, for him, you know. That makes it harder for Rodgers, it makes it harder for the player. Um, but, as I say, you deal with these things as they go along. The one thing Brendan Rodgers certainly can't do is rule the boy out, say, oh, no, no chance, it's not going to happen, destroy the boy's confidence, then has to sell Moussa Dembele, because Celtic get a ridiculously good offer, and he has to turn around to Hodgson Edward and say, kid, you're going to have to help one of our travel. Weeks after saying, mm, I don't think you're good enough for a permanent contract, so you know how these things work. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Swanee, right. What, what can you tell us? I mean, you touched upon Dembele a wee second ago there. What's what's your thoughts? And you, are you becoming increasingly moving towards he's going to stay? And if so, why? I think, I mean, this is, is, is just an opinion of mine. Um, I think the the people in charge of, well, I think Moussa Dembele himself, I think the, the people in charge of Moussa Dembele um, have, are, are very careful. They're not the type of people who just jump in and jump in for money and it's all about the development of the player, the right career path, going to the right club. Um, because of that attitude is the reason why he's at Celtic in the first place. Because they had it mapped out and they knew, right, the next step is go to a big club with a lot of pressure. Go prove yourself, go play in the Champions League. So I think the fit will have to be right for Mr. Dembele, and I don't just think it is a case of a club offers X amount of money that would be acceptable to Celtic, so that's it, Mr. Dembele has to go. I think the club in question who make the bid, I think if it then gets put to Dembele's people, they will have a good, serious look at whether that club is a good fit for their player. Yeah. And if he's not, then I don't think he would go. So, I think it has, all the pieces have to be right. Everything has to be right. And as Brendan Rodgers has said as well, financially, this deal has to be perfect for Celtic. And he has, he has maintained all along, all along, that they will only go for the market value. Uh-huh. So somebody's first of all going to have to come up with the market value. And then it, if somebody does come up with the market value, it's going to have to be exactly the right club, I think, to interest... Dembele and his people. So I think there's an awful lot of pieces have to fall into place in an awful short, an awfully short space of time. Uh huh. And, and do you think? I'm not saying it won't happen. No, but I no. think it's a little tricky. Yeah, yeah. Tricky. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a Celtic player on February one. Not at all. Right. Okay. That's interesting. What do you think? Do you think Brighton fall into that kind of bracket of the next move in his career path to develop him? I mean, what? Just, just your thoughts. My thoughts? Probably not. No. Um. Obviously, I can't speak for Mr. Dembley. Mr. Dembley's people can't speak for Celtic and their money men. I don't have any clue what Brighton are going to bid, how much they're going to bid. Um, We don't know exactly. We've got a rough idea, of course. Um, My own view, not really. No, I don't see it as being... I think, um, like like anybody should have, Mr. Dembley has great confidence in himself and Mr. Dembley's people have great confidence in him. And I don't see why going to fight against relegation in the English Premier League for a team who may create two to three chances a game, sometimes less, sometimes more, but for playing anybody in the top half, they struggle to get their own half at times. Yeah. I'm not seeing how that fits. Exactly. And what you're looking for, if you, if, if you genuinely believe 
the boys good enough to play at a high level. And I think that's what they believe, and I think the boy's confident enough in himself to believe that he could play there. So, a bit of fit for me. Now, but as I say, Mr Dembele and these people might think, oh, yeah, it's absolutely brilliant, but I, I, I don't see it, I have to say. Well, as you say, if they're, if they're relegated, then he's almost back to stage one. Back to where he started. Yeah, yeah. Back to where he started. Now, the, the, other people will counter-argue and say, well, if you really fancy yourself as being that good, you go to Brighton, you score eight, ten goals, keep them up. You know, and then if, you won't be the, playing in the championship. If the chances are created for you, though, that's, yeah, that's bad. exactly. It's not quite that simple. I mean, we've, we've seen situations, listen, we've seen situations with Mr Dembele over the last uh, six weeks at Celtic, but he hasn't had any chances created for him there. Yeah. You know, he can only do so much. There's only Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, and you could argue maybe Neymar in, in world football, who can go back into their own half, forage, fetch the ball and go make a goal for themselves. Yeah. Nine times out of ten strikers need goals created for them. And, I mean, I don't, did, did Mr Dembele get a chance created for him in the Rangers game? No, I can't no. think of one. No, he did not. No. No. So, I don't, um, so you may find that's a regular thing. If you play every week for A Brighton, and again, I'm only using their name as an example because they're the ones we know for sure are interested. But um, I, I'm not sure. I, think, I just think there's a lot, an awful lot of pieces to fit. First, I don't think it's as simple as oh somebody wants to buy him or that's it he's gone. I think it, I don't think it'll work like that. Okay, so anyway, thanks for that, that on uh, Dembele. Right, moving on to other transfers. There was a wee bit this morning a report saying that Charlie Masunda, who of course was a target, what was it last summer, two summers ago? When was it? Was it last? Yeah, last summer. Right? Uh, yeah, that, that Bournemouth want him on a loan deal from Chelsea. Uh, what happened with that? That proposed interest from a number of months ago? I think um, a couple of things, I think. I mean, what you have to remember in these situations, what, what, what was never completely established was um, how deep or how serious the interest got. Yeah. Because I think it was fairly obvious to everyone that Patrick Roberts was the first choice. And once it became evident that Celtic could get Patrick Roberts, then that's the one that the manager wanted. That's the one that they went for. Um, so I don't think it became as much in the summer as it would have done, for example, had Roberts had the indication been that Roberts can't come, that's it, he's not signing, he's not going to be allowed by Manchester City. And I think what happens in a lot of these situations is, um, you know, we speak to various people in the game and it's fascinating now when you speak to guys about the, the top level clubs in England. The detail, it used to be. I think 10, 15 years ago, you wanted a player on loan, you inquired for a player on loan, and the team, the parent club, if they didn't fancy a player, said, yeah, fine. The work that goes in now in the youth academies and the youth departments into identifying specific clubs. I'll, I'll give you an example of how it works. If you take it, say, from a Celtic point of view, Celtic saw Christopher Iyer as a centre-back mm-hmm. uh, and wanted to develop him as a centre-back. So... If you want to send Christopher Iyer out on loan to try and make him a better centre-back, you wouldn't send him to, say, a club 15 points in front in a league. Yeah, yeah. Because they're not going to have that much defending to do. So they sent him to Kilmarnock because the environment's the same as what he would be playing and he was going to be under pressure and he was going to be facing crosses and he was going to have to deal with things in his own box and he was going to have to defend. And that's just an example... That's what they do with a lot of the academy players down south now. They want players to go to certain places well, that's what because they know managers or players. Didn't they? 
That's what City did yeah, at Roberts. Yeah, you want ball. them to go to certain places. Yeah. yeah, you want certain teams that do certain things because you want certain aspects worked upon on your player. Um, Chelsea have done this with Missouander, have carefully placed him around, and now they have said they want him to play in the English Premier League. So I think that's... They decide rather than... you know, And they decide they want to go to the English Premier League because they obviously want to improve his development now and see if he can play at that level. So... Um, that was one that really was kind of an. It was never going to be a start-up, even if it was a start-up this month. Chelsea decided he was uh, he was staying in the English Premier League, so that's that. End of. Okay, all right, cleared that one up. So if it's not going to be Masonda, who do you think could be coming in? At least, if not names, at least positions. Who are they still looking? What kind of position are they still looking to fill? You know what it's like in these situations, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to sit in the fence, you know how fluid a transfer window can be? Um, it would depend on, for example, if someone comes in and decides to pay X for Eric Svichenko, and then somebody decides to come in and pay X something silly for Joseph Sunjinovic, you then have to identify a defender. Yeah. Um, I think if you're looking, at the moment, if, I, if, if I'm looking at the Celtic squad just now, one thing that's been we touched upon the fact that maybe chances aren't being created as much as what they should be. Um, obviously, there's a long-term injury. For, well, not long-term, uh, but through the end of February for Roberts. Tom Rogic is out injured, still doing his rehab. Would you sign somebody for that position? That that would be the most glaring position for me that's probably required at the moment. But then, do you go and sign somebody when you know in two months' time you're going to have your two, creative, two of your most creative players back? I don't know. I think... Left-back cover for Kieran Tierney, maybe. Right-back cover for Michael Lustig, maybe. But Anthony Ralston's coming back, so there's not as much I need for that. I'd say they're pretty much, I think they're pretty much well covered. I think it's just a case of if they can find somebody of good quality, whatever position he's in, he'd be worth taking. If he's available and if he's affordable and it's, and it's not going to make them better than he would. But I don't think he's... Necessary. Listen, if there was to be some news come over the next two weeks to say, look, there's been a setback for Tom Rogic and he won't be back till April, then if you were asking me to pinpoint a position, I would say number 10. That kind of area, you know, creative player, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't see anybody else in the squad who can really do it. Roberts has that kind of slight foot, but he plays off a wider area. You don't really have anybody else who can be a 10 other than Rogic. But if Tom Rogic is going to be back... I think the schedule is end of this month, beginning of February. It's not that big a pressing need, is it? I wouldn't have thought, but that'll maybe depend on how Roger turns. But that would be the only that be the only glaring thing I could see for the running. Um, Unless, as you uh, say, uh, uh, a or, you know, whoever leaves. Well, with, well Eric, Sviachenko's going to go. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, I think that's been made fairly clear. Still Obviously, the thing is a compass. No, well, well, I think there would be interest there. I know there is interest there, yeah. um, but I think I think my my own mind tells me, and certainly some of the things I've heard from or read from Eric Schmidt would suggest that I don't think he would like to go home just now. I think he would rather go to England. I still think he believes he can play in the English Premier League. Who says there's anything wrong with a player having some confidence? Eh? Um, <laughs> so, but um, he may—I'd suggest he may have to go via the championship. Um, but I think he would—I think if he had a choice, he would maybe be there, or maybe the German Bundesliga or something. I don't think he would like to go back, but he may not have an option. Um, and there's obviously a lot of people looking at Joseph Simunovic that has been for quite a considerable period of time. 
Um, but no one's actually been prepared to come forward with a bag load of cash and make the commitment to try and buy him. So, yeah, again, it's from from what we could gather, it was he was one of a bundle. Yeah, centre halves and that didn't appear to be there certainly hasn't been anything as far as we're aware made to Celtic as far as we've been made aware Celtic haven't heard anything about it but of course we all know how the transfer window works if the business isn't done by the 1st or the second, it tends not to be done between 9th or the 1st yeah 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 do, do you think Celtic are ready to connect with a lot of chat in between a lot of chat a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot of chat on who will be moving on 29, 30 and 31. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it's like. Do, do you think Celtic are ready to cut the losses on Simonovic still? I mean, he's he's good when he's when he's fit, but that's been the problem, isn't it, for however long he's just out injured so often? Uh, yeah, well, I don't, think, I, I don't think there's anybody speaking out of turn by saying that the Brendan Rodgers has said from the very outset uh, a key to any player is... Uh, talent and availability. Availability he always makes the point that top players are always available. And if you have a, if one of your players isn't available all the time when you need them, then you have to think, well, if we get an offer for them, we might take it. Um, again, this is this is just my opinion, but if, if Celtic got a good offer for Sumanovic, you'd be tempted to take it, surely. Yeah. Surely. Yeah, yeah. He, he was quite, Rogers was quite pointed when he said that about Simonovic. You know, it was pretty as scathing as, scathing as Brendan Rogers ever is. Uh, but it's amazing how things change, isn't it? Because at the start of the season, um, he was he was desperate. Uh, you could tell when the centre halves were missing and then the guys were getting injured and they said, you know, Simonovic and Boyaka, that is my first choice pairing. And when I get them on the park, you know, you'll see what happens. And they got them back together for the Old Firm game. They were they were solid, although they didn't have much to do. Um, then four days later, they go to Brussels, keep the the only clean sheet of the Champions League group stage campaign away to Anderlecht in a three 0 win. And you're thinking, yep, yeah, see where he's coming from there. That's what that's what he sees as a long term partnership. That's it. Looks good. And then bang, it just Simunovic starts gets injured again, and mistakes creep in, and I don't know. And he misses the last few games. Now Ayers come in. The team done okay. Marvin Comp has been signed, presumably not to cut the grass. So <laughs> um, I'm guessing that, that that if something was to come in, they may think about it. But obviously, Sviatchenko is the one who's is the one who has been seen as expendable at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It would take a substantial amount of money, I think, to then move Simunovic as well. Okay. But, okay. And on Comp, you just you mentioned him there. Uh, Swanee, his signing wasn't exactly greeted, if not, it was an underwhelming reaction, but it wasn't exactly dancing the streets uh, in and around Celtic Park. But the actual, if you look at it, it's probably exactly what they need. A 31-year-old, experienced guy, there's been a, a few wee mistakes, there's obviously potential in Boyata, uh, but maybe needs someone more experienced alongside him, Is that would that be fair? I mean, Nair B. Tom was filling in the centre-half, as you know, at the start of the season. Christopher Ayers, 19-20. Simunovic has been struggling, obviously, in and out of the team. Boyata's still quite young. There's Boyata. Everybody said, Celtic need a centre-half, Celtic need a centre-half. Yeah. Get somebody on with a big experience. Get somebody in the Camden. And then they bring in a guy who's got plenty of experience, who's played in Italy, who's played at the top level in Germany, has had a cap for Germany. He's 32, and everybody's like, the 
Speaking generally, I mean, it's it's always maybe the fault of uh, fans, self included. Why can't a club go and spend five million on that player, forgetting that it's not just five million? The wages need to reflect that. So you're then talking yeah. thirty, forty, fifty thousand a week, and it's just it's it's pushing beyond. You know, it's it's breaking wage structures all over the place, and it's just not doable. This is something that, that, that and um, people sometimes really grasp. You, you've absolutely hit the, the nail on the head there, Dan. Hit the nail on the head. A five million pound player comes with five million pound players' wages, yeah. which are forty-five to fifty grand a week. Yeah. You buy somebody at seven million, he comes with that, you know, and and so on and so on. I mean, there's talk about Virgil Van Dijk and someone two hundred grand a week. <laughs> people have to realise where. Our clubs in Scotland are at the moment, and although Celtic have much bigger financial muscle than anybody else, there's still limits there. You still, still kind of be paying players 70, 80, 90 grand a week, which is what you need to be paying if you're buying 8, 9, 10 million pound players. Yeah. It's just a, a fact of life. Okay. Right, finally, Swanee, uh, there was a good spread that you wrote in the paper the other day with Roger no, no, well, no, well, it's relative. Roger spoke about Philip Coutinho the other day, and uh, mm. as you wrote, he's uh, he's been sold for 142, three million. However many, I mean, it seems to be a different figure and a different publication every day. It seems to just be rising, but he got him from Inter for just eight and a half million, making a profit of around about 134 million. Uh, yeah. Having not spoken directly to the, I have to hold my hands up, I didn't speak directly to the general secretaries and chiefs and banking men at Barcelona. So when I said 143 million, I was taking it from what everyone else said in Spain, basically. Uh, so if I'm a million out, I'm sorry. Right, if I'm a million out, I'm sorry. Blame Marca. I think you'll be pretty accurate there. But uh, yeah. what I was going to ask you, I mean, how much of that was down to Rogers? I mean, we, we saw the effect... Of especially during his first season, he got hold of James Forrest, made him a better player. He got hold of Callum McGregor, mm. made him a better player. I mean, there's. I would guess I'm kind of answering my own question a wee bit, but I'd like you to expand on it if you can. Of the the Rogers effect, what he does to the player, how do, what what is it? Just coaching is a lot of man management. Can you just talk us through it a wee bit? Yeah, I think I think I think look, I think first of all I think I think the the. Profit that Liverpool made is it's threefold. 
Firstly, they got a great bargain to start with in getting Philip Coutinho. Yeah. Because although Brendan, you know, people are right to say that Rogers kind of discovered him and such like, he wasn't signed from a back garden in Chapaulo. He was playing at Inter Milan. Yeah. Inter Milan had spotted him at 18. You know, he was he was at Inter Milan and he had won caps for Brazil. So, you know, there was clearly Liverpool got a good deal there to start with. Rogers got a good deal there to start with. The coaching and the man management and the I think just the installation of confidence. I mean, he's got such a thing with you know football and his way of working. And you know, you looked at this. He, he made the point himself, and he's quite right. Tom Coutinho arrived at Liverpool very slight. You know, one of these everybody says the Premier League's all about power and pace, and if you're not built, you know, if you're not small, you have to be. A, if you're small, you have to be a tank to really cope with the physical demands. Well, Tom Coutinho was a waste. Coming a boy band, um, but that didn't stop Rogers saying, "I trust you. I think you're good enough. And I, you know, I think you can play in that environment." And that confidence that he instilled into Coutinho, along with coaching, along with Coutinho's natural ability, then blossomed. But I think the third part is the market's gone stupid as well. If the market was exactly the same as what it was five years ago when Liverpool bought Philip Coutinho, they would probably have sold him for say thirty. Uh-huh. That would still have been a good profit. Yeah. But the market's just gone daft now. So what clubs are prepared to pay five years ago compared to what they're paying now is completely... I mean, can you imagine even... I mean, it, we all remember being younger and, you know, the money was paid for Alan Shearer or whatever it was, £15 million. Pound, people are falling down. Yeah. I mean, you kind of get a second choice right back in the English Premier League for £15 million pound now. You know, and, it, and everything's relative. And the transfer fees now compared to what they were five years ago in England, are even through the roof. So, it's a threefold thing. He was a great bargain in the first place. The transfer market's gone silly. But of course, only a fool would suggest that, you know, Rogers' installation of confidence and coaching and management did not have a big influence on how good a player Philip Coutinho has become. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I guess, I guess kind of Chris Ayers won his next moulding. He had a really good game in the derby uh, last month, and he seems to he seems to have come on a good bit. Although Kelly fans were raving about him when he was down there. Yeah, and it was, um, it, he, I mean, again, it's just a case of getting somebody, working with him on a daily basis, giving him the confidence to believe they can play in said position, and you know, I was, you know, because he hasn't proved anything yet. As such, he's come in, he's shown that he's got it. Now, now the task for Chris Iyer is to show on a consistent basis that you can be first pick centre half for Celtic. But certainly the improvements are absolutely massive. You can see that, and Brendan Rodgers, and I would guess that the time he spent at Kilmarnock, which was Rodgers' design, have to be have to be credited for that. But yeah, yeah, he looks as though he's one who who may be next on the sort of progression list behind your Callum McGregor's and Forrests and. Armstrongs and all these guys have been improved markedly under under the manager. So he, he's all big. Always says, doesn't he? That's that's what he says. Coaching players, improving them, making them better. It's as much about that as as, as good buying, you know. So it's Celtic can be quite pleased. They've got someone who's prepared to invest his time and effort and knowledge into these boys because that will save them fortunes in one hand, and it'll probably make them fortunes in another. Yeah. Do you, do you think just on that final final note? Craig, see the guys that are over in Dubai, the, the youngsters you kind of touched on earlier on. Is there, 
Mark Kill, are we likely to see anything of him? More of Calvin Miller in the second half of the season? Who, who would you who would you pick as a, an, an emerging talent? Well, Miller was obviously dipped in um, in stages at the start of the season. Yeah. He's one who looks as though he might get more chances. Um, I would suggest he would probably, certainly of all the ones who are here, I suspect Miller and, and Mikey Johnson might be the ones that you see the most of between now and the end of the season, if you're going to see any of them. Um, they would be the ones, as opposed to, I'm not sure how or Hazard or any of that would have much of a chance of playing more games than those boys. I would say that those would be the two. But listen, that's nothing new. Celtic fans know that anyway. They've seen Johnson. They saw Calvin Miller a couple of uh, times at the start of the season, particularly good down at Kilmarnock earlier in the season when Celtic won there. So yeah. they know all about these boys and they also know that the manager is quite prepared to play them if he has to, so, or if he wants to. So, um, and, and of course, we, we shouldn't forget Anthony Ralston. Who has had that serious, um, serious injury? Uh, he's been kind of forgotten about Andy Ralston, um, yeah, but yeah. he's on the road back. He's just signed a new contract, and if uh, the way Kieran Tierney recovered from serious injury uh, to force his way into the team as anything to go by, then uh, they might have an exciting one in Andy Ralston as well because he certainly looks as though he's got all the tools. Okay, marvellous. Thanks a million for joining us, Ronnie. No problem at all. And I hope the rest of the trip goes okay. We'll speak to you speak. Yeah, hopefully it should be great. Yep, yep. Top man, thanks Can't again. Can't wait to get back. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. See all you the best, Bye-bye. That's all from us this week. We'll be back sometime next midweek. Don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or Audioboom to get the podcast as soon as it's available. And if you liked it, please review and rate us on there too. Thanks for listening. <laughs>